With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Adam and welcome to episode two of the UK True Crime podcast, a weekly podcast covering all aspects of UK true crime. Next week, we're looking at a brutal murder inspired by the desperate need to clear financial debts. But for today's episode, we're looking at financial crime, specifically the case of Benjamin Wilson. In December 2011, at the age of 35, Benjamin Wilson had an enviable lifestyle. A graduate of Swansea University, he'd previously worked for Intel before seemingly discovering his real talent, which was financial trading. He'd built his success on his charm, charisma and an exceptional trading ability and he was now fully determined to enjoy the rewards of his success. Wilson was no shrinking violet. He described himself on his Facebook page as handsome and rich. His favourite quotations included the following, greatness is simply the propensity to keep going when everyone else gives up. Wilson had grown up on the south coast of England in Paul and this is where at the age of 24 he started and also based his business, Shore Investment. There was no expense spared in creating a luxurious exclusive office. Over £4.8 million was spent to ensure it reflected the success of his thriving business. Potential investors in Shore Investment were invited to these offices which were ornately decorated with bull and bear statues which cost over £10,000. There was a bar area which included a champagne filled fridge, there was a games room and even an office massage room. These potential clients could even watch Wilson's traders making their money in real time on their state of the art trading desks. Wilson was widely regarded as a trading maestro who was admired by investors for the returns he was able to produce, quite stunning returns, and by staff who felt lucky to be working for such a genius. Wilson lived nearby in the exclusive waterfront area of Sandbanks in a £4 million house called Rhapsody. This home had five bedrooms, there was an indoor swimming pool, a gym and a sauna. He had a nice car collection. He drove a Lotus Elise and uh, Ferrari California and where we pick up the story today the deposit for his next Ferrari had just been paid. In his free time there was nothing Wilson enjoyed more than spending time out on the golf course or visiting the racetrack to watch his two horses run. These horses he named Cash's King and another currency. Wilson oozed a high life and he was clearly making plenty of money. He invested £35,000 in a life coach who arranged for him and some of the novice traders to attend a horse whispering seminar. He holidayed often, sometimes treating his employees for a free trip. Las Vegas was one of his favourite locations, and when there, he indulged his love for heavy gambling on the slot machines and also on the roulette tables. Now back in 2011, getting fully comped in Vegas for your individual accommodation, it was getting tougher as the financial crisis hit. But Wilson's level of spending ensured that the hotel waived the cost not just of his accommodation, but for the whole party. Another employee recalls Wilson's generosity in Vegas when he picked up one time the tab for a £22,000 drinks bill. Just thinking about this, funnily enough, 
none of my bosses have ever done that, have yours? Hmm. Back to the story. Back home in his community, Wilson continued to give the impression of local boy made good. He donated over 50,000 to local sports clubs and spent £74,000 on golf, including staging his own charity event. So what could possibly go wrong? Well, there was just one major problem with Wilson's business and lifestyle. It was all a facade. He was, in fact, running a classic Ponzi scheme, where early investors are paid with the capital of the investors that come after them. The beauty of these schemes for the person committing the fraud is that as long as people continue to invest, then detection can be difficult and take time. However, when future investment dries up, the whole charade quickly collapses. Ponzi schemes have been around since the 18th century, but are named after Charles Ponzi, who, in 1920 in Boston, he developed an, an arbitrage scheme, which was really just a masquerade for paying off early investors with a deposit of later investors. Ponzi claimed that he would double investors' money in 90 days through a bizarre plan to buy and resell international postal reply coupons. He collected more than 8 million US dollars from about 30,000 investors in just seven months before the scheme collapsed. Remember, this was 1920. He served five years in prison. Other more recent Ponzi frauds familiar to all of us are those major scams carried out in the US by Alan Stanford, remember him? And of course, Bernie Madoff. Madoff's losses were colossal and estimated to be over $165 billion. Just imagine being in his family that that day in 2008 when he had made an admission to his sons that everything that he'd achieved, all these great sums, but actually all his investments were just one big lie. So anyway, back to Wilson. How did he go about building this fraud? Wilson's company Shore Investments was created in 2003. Just months after opening, the Financial Services Authority told Wilson that to continue trading, the business needed to be authorised as he was operating a collective investment scheme. Wilson told the authorities that the firm had been wound up and the investors all repaid. However, this wasn't the case at all. The FSA contacted investors directly, but by then Wilson had convinced these investors to tell the FSA that they had actually been repaid. Interestingly, only 20 of the 300 investors actually replied to the FSA and none mentioned that Wilson had in fact encouraged investors to invest in a separate offshore fund based in the British Virgin Islands. But Wilson, he didn't actually do this. Instead, he paid the money into his personal Shore Investment UK bank account. And rather than be deterred by the intervention of the UK authorities, as the financial crisis started to hit and to bite and traditional investment returns dropped, Wilson saw this as an opportunity to rapidly expand his operation. And this is exactly what he did. Now, the big selling point highlighted by Wilson was that his fund was based offshore on the British Virgin Islands, which as we know it really wasn't, but because of this it was unregulated by the British authorities. This allowed Wilson to tell investors it gave him the freedom to make even more money without the constraints of regulation. He promised investors returned of 3-7% to 7 a month and a glossy brochure, no doubt expensively produced, featured pictures of mansions, speedboats and diamonds. It was filled with boasts of how Wilson's fund outperformed traditional city institutions. Wilson invented accounts for the business and these showed that his company had grown from 3.6 million invested in 2005 
to 28.5 million invested in 2007 with incredible returns of 4, 5, even 9%. However, these figures, they were just plucked out of the air by Wilson and they bore no resemblance to reality. By 2008, according to Wilson, his funds for investments were actually 103.3 million, increasing to 160 million by the following year. In reality, this was all a deceit. The truth, sadly, was way less impressive. In 2015, he actually only had 100k invested. And by 2010, the real figure committed for investment, and still a sizable figure, was 21.8 million. Now this is really strange. Of that money, only 20% was actually invested by Wilson. Alan May, who's an investigator at the FSA, which is the regulatory body which later replaced the FSA, said, In many ways, it was the emperor's new clothes of investing. Rather than being the trading maestro everybody thought he was, he was actually rather a Walter Mitty. He wasn't a good trader, he didn't do much trading, and when he did, he actually lost money. It transpired that Wilson only invested 4 million of the money that was invested and he managed to lose half of that. He didn't even let his staff trade. He had a staff of 10 working for him, of which 5 were young trainee traders. However, they weren't trading on live screens, they were being made to practice on computer simulations. When they asked why they weren't able to start trading properly, Wilson told them that the time wasn't right, but they would be able to trade live eventually. And Wilson himself, he wasn't exactly working flat out to try and make up this money. Investigator May again, he said, Wilson would come out of his office to say he'd completed an amazing trade and had made the fund masses of money, but in reality, it was completely fictitious. Wilson actually spent most of his time downloading film and TV series on the internet. At his trial, one of the witnesses said he would occasionally have to go into Wilson's office to stop him downloading this material, because it was slowing down the office's internet connection. By the end, Wilson was doing hardly any trading at all, and he actually spent most of his time on the golf course. As time went on, Wilson was getting deeper into trouble, and he reacted by making some very basic mistakes. At one stage, one of his father's friends expressed an interest in investing, but before he did so, he wanted to see the audited accounts and the other documents. Now, this posed Wilson a slight issue, as one, they didn't exist, and so the business had never actually, in fact, been audited. However, this didn't deter him, so he just invented a fake auditor firm and created a website. He asked a friend in the US for sample accounts, which he copied onto the site. But doing this, Wilson, he was sloppy, and there were numerous spelling mistakes, including a rather basic one. The company was spelt Shaw Investment without the T. He registered the company at his parents' house and then there was just the issue of producing the name of an auditor and finding a signature. Now, the auditor's name came from his friend in the US search of signature from the sample accounts and, well, the signature? Well, this turned out to be the best-selling author, the late Terry Pratchett. Remember him? So how did this come about? Well, this was the first signature that came up when Wilson searched Google. Incidentally, replicating Wilson in the name of research, I did the same Google search and this produced the very one and only rock legend, <clears throat> Justin Timberlake. Moving on. 
It probably says a lot about Wilson's persuasive personality that his dad's friend was happy with the documentation produced and he actually later invested more than £1 million in the fund. So how did this whole scheme come crashing down? Well, in the end it was quite simple. A concerned independent financial advisor had heard about Wilson and when he looked at the glossy brochure for sure investment it just didn't feel right to him. One brochure for example said compared to other financial institutions sure investment is a clear leader in the industry. This was supported by a series of graphs seemingly showing that they produced annual returns of between 50% and about 90% in each year from 2004 to 2008. So in October 2010, armed with this information that suggested Wilson was still operating an investment scheme, the FSA, the FCA's predecessor, acted through the civil courts, obtaining an injunction to freeze assets and to restrain the unauthorised activity and pursuing civil action. During the course of the investigation, when the scale of this dishonesty became clear, the FSA began a criminal investigation. Wilson was arrested at his house and his house was searched and his offices were searched in a joint operation with Dorset Police. Wilson was actually sentenced to five months imprisonment in April 2012 for repeated breaches of the FSA High Court injunction. On the 25th of October 2013, Wilson pleaded guilty to one count of operating a collective investment scheme without being authorised by the FCA. On December the 12th that year, he pleaded guilty to one count of forgery and one count of fraud. The FCA had intended to pursue two further counts of making false statements and one count of using a false instrument. However, following his guilty pleas, they took the decision it wasn't in the public interest to proceed with the the costs of a further lengthy trial. On 14th of February 2014, at Southwark Crown Court, Wilson was sentenced to seven years imprisonment. Sentencing Wilson, Judge Michael Grieve QC said that he'd carried out an utterly shameless fraud, targeting victims who invested money they could ill afford to lose. You were the sole architect of the fraud from start to finish, he told him. Although there may well be some element of living in a world of make-believe, at the same time it was a cruel and very sophisticated fraud with only one beneficiary, that was yourself. Wilson showed no reaction as he was sentenced. The court heard that Wilson had paid £4 million to refund a small number of investors in the scheme and that in addition another £5.3 million had been recovered. However, this left £12 million still outstanding. The nature of these schemes means that the details are often spread by word of mouth and so many of the victims were related to or they were friends of Wilson's close friends and family. Many were elderly or vulnerable. They even include members of his own trading team who'd invested their own money and encouraged their family and friends to do so. One of the victims was professional rugby player Charles Amesbury. He was a school friend of one of Wilson's traders. Another victim was the dad of Wilson's best friend from school, Keith Satchel. He was a director at a life assurance company. One victim spoke of her anger at the betrayal of trust that had cost her family their life savings of £240,000. She said, We have been left with almost nothing. After spending 25 years working hard to pay off the mortgage on a four-bedroomed house, we've been left with nothing to show for all our hard work. I cannot tell you what a devastating impact this has had on us all. 
Another victim told the court that although she'd retired, she now had to reverse that decision and go back to work because she needed the money, despite medical advice telling her that she shouldn't. She said bitterly, it has been a life-changing process for all the wrong reasons. Many of these victims were in court as Wilson was sentenced, and there was clearly no sympathy at all for the man who'd carried out this fraud. A number of them made it clear they disagreed with Michael Bromley QC who defended Wilson when he said that Wilson's remorse for victims, quote, was unequivocal. Bromley Wilson continued, This is a classic case of an apparently intelligent man self-deceived by his own capabilities, not unlike an addicted gambler always believing he would win in the end. And what will become of Wilson on his release from prison? It's hard not to agree with the victims and be very distrustful that he'd shown any real remorse. Annoyance at getting caught, certainly, but real remorse? Based on the facts, it's pretty hard to see. With the anger about his actions still raw, would he be able to live in the local area, or will he have to move away and start again? Will his experience combined with his time in prison means he comes out a changed man? Or will he again be looking to deceive in the search for making easy money? Would he have lost the arrogance and swagger? As well as doubting the remorse of Wilson, several of his victims weren't impressed at all by the sentence passed. Of his seven-year sentence, he must only serve half in prison before he's released on licence. He was also banned from working as a company manager or a director for 15 years. Now, what do you consider here? Is this really sufficient for the effect of his actions? And is this a sentence that will deter others? I don't know. I don't think so. However... Commenting after the case, the FSA were pleased with the result and they saw it as a landmark judgment. Indeed, it was the longest sentence for anyone prosecuted by the FCA and the second longest for either the FCA or its predecessor, the FSA. Many aren't convinced. They also aren't impressed at all by the regulatory authorities' conduct during Wilson's crimes, feeling they should have done more to stop Wilson especially as they'd actually been aware of his business pretty soon after it was opened in 2003. Indeed, if it had not been for that one IFA, then how much longer would this have gone on for? Well, certainly the losses would have been much, much larger. So what do the FCA say about this? Tracy McDermott, Director of Enforcement and Financial Crime at the FCA, she defended the action of the authorities. She said it was not uncommon for people to be taken in by a charismatic figure, who told them, you're getting a great deal here because you're pushing things at the legal boundary. She continued, In our unauthorised business area, we get alerts from various sources, but we don't always get those alerts as quickly as people might think, because the investors themselves usually think they're onto a good thing. We get a lot from people within the regulated community, particularly from IFAs, who see their clients taking money out of traditional investments to put it somewhere else, or hear things on the grapevine. And it's a really, really valuable source of information for us. The FCA has objectives to protect consumers and to enhance the integrity of the financial system. She added, The FCA deal with five to 6,000 cases of unauthorised business each year and took a range of measures to warn people from investing in unregulated funds. The FCA has objectives to protect consumers and enhance the integrity of the financial system. Wilson being put behind bars contributes to us achieving both. So, as you can hear, the FCA clearly think they've done a really good job. And with 
limited resources, is this actually the best we can hope for from our regulatory authorities? Wilson's bank, Morgan Stanley, was fined for not taking action to stop the fraud. The US Commodity Futures Trading Commission fined Morgan Stanley $280,000 for supervision and records procedure failures resulting to sure investment. These procedures required Morgan Stanley personnel to, among other things, to know its customer and to be alert for any red flags regarding suspicious activity prior to opening an account. The investigator found that despite numerous red flags presented by Sure Investments account opening documents, including audits filled with typos, as we said earlier, and other suspicious irregularities for an entity that turned out not to exist, Morgan Stanley still opened the accounts. The CFTC Enforcement Director, Aiton Goldman, said, CFTC-regulated firms like Morgan Stanley must adhere to rigorous internal controls such as the Know Its Customers controls. This will protect customers and the markets from fraud and corruption. In a recent blog post, I examined the attitude to financial crime in the UK, especially so-called victimless crime, where the thinking among the public is pretty much often wishing the criminals good luck as there are no perceived victims. However, in this form of financial crime, as we have seen today, the suffering of the victims is very real and often devastating. These Ponzi schemes are happening in the UK right now and we are being pitched opportunities to invest in them daily. So, consider this. If you are approached by family or friends with an investment opportunity where the rewards seem too good to be true, what would you do? Would you invest? Or would you like to think that you could see straight through a fraudster like Benjamin Wilson? Well, thank you very much for listening to episode two of our weekly podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please share with your friends or family or leave us a review. For more from the home of UK True Crime, please head to our website www.uktruecrime.com and I'll speak to you next week. Thank you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.